Sweet. You guys doing good? Yes. Disclaimer, I'm recovering from a cold. So I feel like I have cotton balls in my ears. And um, we're just going to push through it. So I'm just going to talk really loud, really quiet. And I won't know the difference. So it's going to be great. All right, well, guys, we are uh, jumping in our series, Rest, Rhythms, and Reset. He was here last Sunday. Yes, did it bless anyone in the room? Yes, did anyone actually do it? Hey, who, uh, who took a Sabbath this week? Hey, was it your first time, anyone? Anyone's first time taking a Sabbath this week? Uh, that's okay, the Lord knows, the Lord knows. <laughs> anyone fast this week? Hey, there we go. Pray, hopefully. Community? All right. It's like 20% success rate. We'll get there. Um, guys, this has been awesome. Such a, such a fun series. And uh, just diving into uh, these four key spiritual disciplines that I feel the Lord has really put on our heart for our community, specifically to walk through. And, uh, you know, these disciplines... Are, are ways that we can walk and look like Jesus. Can we fix this feedback thing? Is it my phone or batteries? Praise God. All right. Uh, but these are our disciplines, guys. And, and one of the things I said last week is that we very often want the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. It's like, man, we want the glory. We want the, the fire preaching, right? We want the crowds. We want the authority, Right? We want the gasoline of Jesus, whatever that means. But it's like we won't fast because it's old covenant or whatever, you know, however we come up with that idea. But this is the, the thing about Jesus is that he calls us and he says, hey, I paid the price. It's free. You can follow me. But now you have to die. <laughs> and it's like, wait, I thought it was free, right? <laughs> With Jesus like, wait, if you actually want to fully follow me, because you can say yes and go to heaven, that's great. But if you want to actually live heaven on earth, it's going to be costly. It's like we've, we've preached a gospel without a cross. We've, we've preached a gospel in America that says, hey, you can have grace and eternal life, and that's awesome, but there's no cross. <laughs> but if we remove the cross, there's no gospel. There's no salvation. And so I want you guys to hear my heart as I go into this because this very easily can go into legalism, which is not what we're going after, right? Because that's bad. It's not good. But I love what Paul says in Galatians 6a. He frames this, I think, so beautifully. He says this, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. That doesn't sound like legalism to me. <laughs> Who knows that what you feed grows and what you starve diminishes. And so guys, as believers, we have to pay attention to what is actually growing in our life, good or bad, right? What is the fruit that's bearing in your life? Because what fruit is bearing will reveal a lot. It'll reveal what you've been sowing in the private, in the public, right? It'll reveal what we've been giving our energy to, what we've been giving our time to, what we've given uh, our attention to, 
right, is a lack of self-control growing or discipline? Is fear growing or dependency? Is constant bad decisions growing or wisdom? And so we have to think about, wait, Jesus is actually inviting us to partner with him to see transformation in our life. I said this last week that we have to remember that we don't accidentally become more like Jesus. It's an intentional walk in partnership with the spirit to imitate Christ. Colossians 3.10, Paul puts it this way. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed. I love how he frames this. As you learn to what? To know your creator and become like him. This is how this doesn't fall into legalism. It's about knowing him. This is, this is what severs this thing in the middle. Because I think for a lot of us, right, if maybe from, if we're in the younger generation, we grew up in the generation that was like all legalism, that we got to perform and we got to strive, we got to work out our salvation in the sense of we have to make ourselves right with God by our own actions. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus actually flipped that and he did all the work and we receive the fruit of that, but we're called to cultivate. Amen? And so today, one of the, the principles that I really want to talk about to start uh, uh, kind of this series is keeping the Sabbath. No amens for that. Okay, no one's excited for Sabbath. All right. This is like the easy one, guys. Come on. Um, just kidding. It's not that easy. Uh, practicing the Sabbath is a discipline that allows us to sow to the Spirit, to know Jesus deeper, and to position us to be renewed and transformed. But before we can talk about the Sabbath and soul rest, we need to first understand spiritual rest. So before we talk about practicing the Sabbath and and soul care and all that stuff, we have to understand this foundation of spiritual rest because the reality is, guys, is you will never experience internal rest if you don't understand spiritual rest. So let's go to Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. It says this, but God is so rich, amen, in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us, say seated, with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. This is a crazy verse, guys. Like once you actually understand what this is actually saying. I think for a lot of us, we, we acknowledge to agree that we've been buried with Christ. We all acknowledge to agree that we've been crucified with Christ. We all acknowledge to agree that we've been raised with Christ, right, hopefully. But the thing is, the one thing that we actually miss is that we're seated with him. And it shows <laughs> we acknowledge that we're raised with Christ, but do you know the final position is that you're seated with him? 
So what this means is that obviously right now we're not literally seated, but we're legally seated. Positionally, you are right with God through the blood of Jesus and you are seated next to the Father. I'm gonna say that again. We are not seated literally, but legally, positionally, you are right with God through the blood of Jesus. You are seated next to the Father. Guys, what if you don't have to strive to be right with God anymore? What if you don't have to strive to be holy? What if you don't have to strive to be near him? What if you don't have to strive to be forgiven? That when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he was crying out that every barrier between man and God has been destroyed. That there is now an open door to know God through his sacrifice on the cross. Let's take that in. That Jesus made God knowable. Jesus made God knowable. Right, as Colossians 3.10 says that we are made new by knowing him. And so Jesus tore the veil so now we can know him. This is the door in. But then it's in the journey of knowing him that we become renewed like him. Does that make sense? So this is why we can say that we've been set free, but we're still being made whole. That there is nothing you can do to add to the work of Christ on the cross. That Jesus' blood was so perfect, so foolproof, so infinitely priceless, that it was more than effective to pay for your sin and everyone else's sin that came before and that will come after you. And it's not until you understand this that you can experience true rest, that you can have peace before God because Jesus' finished work on the cross. Do not, if you struggle with shame and guilt and condemnations because you don't have peace before God. That the word faith literally translates to put all of your weight onto something. That's what it translates to. To have faith means to put your weight on something. It's literally what you're doing right now. Think about it. You're putting your faith in your chair. You're putting your weight on your chair. Faith is the act of sitting. And so the moment you stop being seated is the moment you start striving, guys. It's the moment you start seeking attention. It's the moment you give in to shame. It's the moment you stop believing that when Jesus said, it is finished, that he actually meant it. So this has to be our foundation for rest. Because you can have spa days all day long and you can sleep in and, you know, eat good food. But if it's not built on the foundation, of Jesus saying it's finished, then you're gonna keep working. <laughs> All right. All right, Genesis 2, 2 to 3. It says this by the seventh day, God had finished the work he was doing. 
So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he done. It's important to note that the first time holy is mentioned in scripture is in the context of rest. So God rested on the seventh day. And as we know that Adam was created in the six, and we know that Adam obviously had no part in the previous days, right? Adam wasn't like throwing boulders and making mountains. So God's last day of rest is man's full day. So what does this mean? This means that we start, we are created to start from where he finished. Dang, nobody got that. You are created to start from where he finished. So what would happen if we created, if we worked, if we ministered from the place of being seated? I remember I had this moment when I was praying to the Lord and I was just worrying, you know, as we do. About so many things. I was like, God, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about this. How do I figure this out? And I remember the Lord just said, Andrew, sit down. <laughs> I was like, okay. Watch me knee. He says that Christianity does not begin in walking, but in sitting. This is your royal position. Stay seated. Hebrews 4, 9 to 11 says this, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, listen to this, also rests from their works. Okay. For you to enter God's rest, you have to also rest from your work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort, I love that, to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their examples of disobedience. So the context here is that the author is obviously referencing the Israelites entering the promised land. But Moses led the Israelites who were enslaved out of Egypt, but because striving starts in the heart, they didn't know how to live in faith and depend on God. So it took them 40 years to finally enter into the promised land, which would have only taken 40 days. We see the internal wrestle, right? We talked last week how the same journey that God took Israel is the journey Jesus walks us through today. And we're all walking through a spiritual exodus. That we've been freed from Egypt, you've been saved, but we're still being made whole. Does that make sense? God was still sanctifying. He was still removing Egypt out of his people because it was ingrained in them for decades, for generations. Grandma, all they knew, you're a slave, you're a worker, right? When you think about the moment when they made the golden calf, this isn't random, what does the calf symbolize? The God of labor. They were literally worshiping their labor. They made it. <laughs> they made their idol that they worship. They were worshiping their labor. This is what they knew is their default. And so the context here, right? Moses led the Israelites who were enslaved out of Egypt, but because they didn't know how to rest, 
They didn't know how to depend. They kept complaining, God, we don't like the manna. We should just go back to Egypt. They literally said that, right? It's like, it's a little too salty for my taste. Let me just go back and get whipped every day. Like, come on, right? Makes no sense. But this was, this was what was ingrained in them. So what should have only taken them 40 days took 40 years to enter. That's pretty mind-blowing. Then eventually Joshua successfully led them into the promised land. But why there is still, as, as Hebrew says, a special rest waiting is because the rest that Joshua brought isn't a permanent rest, but a temporary rest. Jesus came to bring the eternal and internal rest for us. So on the seventh day, God rested not because he was tired, but because the work was complete. Right? He said it was really good because it's exactly how he intended it to be. And so when we enter God's rest, I want you to hear this. We rest from our work just like God rested on his. We rest from the exhausting, pointless, unpleasant work of trying to earn our way to God. We rest from the desire to prove our righteousness to him over and over again. And we acknowledge that the work Jesus did was perfect and whole to save us and make us right with God. So entering God's rest means we can stop striving. Let's say that again. Entering God's rest means you can stop striving. Can I share a funny story with you guys? I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share this because it's funny. I did an internship a couple years ago. Um, I was partnered with YWAM in Vegas. And, um, you know, there's probably like a million YWAMers in here, so you probably understand. Um, with internship, right, you're pretty much like hanging out with homeless people all day and preaching to people that are like half naked in the strip. It's pretty wild. Um, but we did that, and at the end of the internship, they have this moment where all the core main leaders, they come, and they prophesy, all three of them, over each individual person. And it's like, we're all so excited. We're waiting for this moment, right? It's like three months. Like, I can't wait to get prophesied, like, or given a word of knowledge from my leader, right? Because you look up to these people, and everyone's getting, like, crazy stuff. So you're, like, waiting in line. And everyone's getting these crazy words of, like, you're going to the nations and, like, God sees you as his bride. And like people are getting like these crazy, like super powerful words. I'm waiting when it's my turn, right? I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And I go up and, and the leader, the main leader at that time, we started that base. This is the word he gave me. This is literally all he said. He said, I feel like the Lord says you need to stop being, you need to stop trying to be too cool. Talk about a burn, right? <laughs> but he said, that was all he said. That was it. It was like freaking Joe over there got like an elaborate throne room vision. <laughs> and this is all I get. But here's the crazy thing. Something broke off of my life. There was something still in me that was still performing for approval of men. And literally that one line completely broke something off of my life. I think people in this room need to hear that word. 
If you're sitting, you can't perform because you're rested. And so the word Sabbath literally means to cease. And I love the language here in Hebrews because it's like rest, rest from your works. And he says this kind of contradictory line, but I love it. It says, now make every effort to enter that rest. (laughs) It's like rest, rest, rest. Now like run to rest. Do everything you can to enter that rest. It's the one thing that you can strive for is to stop striving. So I want to say this before we go into Sabbath is where Jesus finished is where you start. That we're not living for the cross, we're living from the cross. Amen? All right, let's talk about the Sabbath. So today we're going to talk about keeping the Sabbath. God told his people to keep the Sabbath holy. The word keep means to hold, to preserve, and to take care of to hold, to preserve, and to take care of. Let's go to Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. So in contact, context, Moses is on Mount Sinai, and God is giving him literally speaking to him, 10 commandments. He says, this is what you're supposed to tell the people of Israel. This is supposed to be your guiding light. These are your boundary lines. This is how you're supposed to live. And he says this, it's one of the commands. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons, your daughters, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So to understand this, God appointed rhythms of remembrance for the people of Israel. Sabbath was a weekly commanded rhythm to remember how God finished the work and rested on the seventh day. I love what John Mark Comer says. He says that God instituting the Sabbath was an act of rebellion for God's people because in Egypt, they never rested and all they knew to do was to work. And so by giving this command, he's saying, hey, this is rebellion for you. This is how you unlearn the patterns of this world. Here's a rhythm. You're going to rest every seven days. You're not going to work. Your animals aren't going to work. Everyone in your households is not going to work. This is what the Lord gave them. So obviously as followers of Jesus, God does not expect us to live by Israel's laws. However, I want you to hear this. However, the wisdom of these laws remain and the law of the Sabbath is rich with significance for us today. Sabbath is now not a commandment we are bound to. It's a promise we're invited to enjoy. So if you don't Sabbath, God's not going to be like, you can't come to heaven. But if God gave you free day off once a week, 
I don't know about you, but I would take it. So as New Covenant believers, we can keep the Sabbath by creating a weekly rhythm of rest to remember now Jesus' finished works on the cross. And that as God rested, we can all rest from our works spiritually and physically. So from Exodus 20, there's four things that God describes the Sabbath as that's important for us to have as a foundation. The first thing is that the Sabbath is something we have to remember. Why? Because our default is to forget rest. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We have to remember because our default is to forget rest. The Sabbath is a rhythm of interrupting our, work, our week of work and, biz, and busyness with a full day of rest. Sabbath is an act of ceasing from work individually and as a household. And the Sabbath is a day the Lord blesses, sanctifies, and calls holy. He blesses, he sanctifies, and calls holy. In Mark 2, 27, Jesus says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's saying this line because the Pharisees, obviously they've added so many laws and so many extra rules to to the Sabbath and, and all the other commands that God has given. They've added all these things and they've made it legalism. They made it this religious duty that's actually sucked the beauty and the gift of what Sabbath was for God's people. And he confronts them and he says, the Sabbath is not for man, or man is not for the Sabbath. Man is not submitted to the Sabbath. Sabbath is actually a gift for man to enjoy. Think about this. That God gave the Sabbath for man to enjoy. It's literally given to God, given to us from God. Right, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Sabbath, practicing the Sabbath, empties your cup and replenishes your capacity. Jesus also says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Rest actually originates from him. You guys okay? All right. So in Exodus, God commands Israel that on the seventh year, this is significant, later on God commands Israel that on the seventh year, they have to let the ground rest for the entire year. So they can work it for six years, a principle here. They can work their land for six years, and then on the seventh year, they can't work their land anymore. They have to let the ground rest for an entire year. Because what happens is if you overwork the soil, it can't grow properly. And even in this, we see that rest is literally woven in creation, and it's woven in our design. So this command lets the soil not be overworked so that it can be more fruitful, but also brought his people to a place of trust because for that entire seventh year, the harvest won't be as frequent since they're not planting or harvesting. But on that sixth year, God promises to provide abundance for them for that entire seventh year. I think that's pretty cool. So the principle that we get from this, guys, is that God can do more in your resting than your striving. And that rest ultimately brings sustainability and fruitfulness. I'm going to say this, that the marker of Christian maturity 
isn't how bright you can burn, but how long you can burn. It's going to leave that there. It's great to burn bright. But it's more important to burn longer, right? Fruitfulness is faith for a long time. That's what that means. Can I read some stats to you guys? From this, this uh, statistics uh, about pastors in America. That 90% of pastors feel fatigued and worn out every week. 77% feel they don't have a good marriage. 75% of pastors report uh, being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 70% constantly fight depression. 70%. 50% feel so discouraged that they would leave their ministry if they could, but can't find another job. 50% admit to using pornography. 38% are divorced or are in the process of divorcing. This is pastors. Everything flows top down. So if this is the normal culture and leadership, and we can't really expect much more in the body. So when we're talking about Sabbath, you're like, man, that's Old Testament. Like, we're new covenant, bro. Good for you. But there's actually something so much deeper here, guys. I don't want you just to burn really bright and then burn out. I want you to burn for a long time. And so when we talk about this principle, because this isn't, you're not bound to this. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't guarantee you're going to become more like Jesus. Isn't gonna, it's not going to guarantee your life's going to be more abundant. But in this, there's an invitation. I heard, I heard this quote. It says that Jesus teaches that the Sabbath points to him, the one Israel's prophets promised would come to mercifully restore the rhythm of all creation. When followers of Jesus observe the Sabbath, we live as if this restoration has already taken place. We take a break from the broken rhythms of hustle and hardship to set aside a time to honor Jesus' rule, to enjoy his presence, and to extend rest to the world around us. When we trust God's invitation to come to him and truly rest, we, we become places where his presence can dwell. Isn't that good? So we define Sabbath here as a holy and set apart day to rest, to cease, to delight, and to worship. I'm going to say that again. Sabbath is a holy and set apart day to rest, to cease, to delight, and to worship. A couple months ago, my wife and I, we were, you know, in the process of moving and or getting ready to move, buying a house. You know, it's all stressful if you've ever bought a house. It's a stressful process. We woke up one day, and we had a day off. And we're like, let's just go on a day trip. Just go to Virginia Beach, right? 
I'm half Filipino, and uh, there's like thousands of Filipino restaurants there. And uh, we're like, let's just go get some Filipino food. It's going to be great. So we woke up, right? I've shared part of this story before, so you've heard part of this probably. So we woke up, and I'm literally in the car. It's a three-and-a-half-hour drive. I'm in the car researching for two hours for the perfect Filipino restaurant. This is, this is how I am because I love food. And I'm like, it's got to be the best. We're driving three-and-a-half hours. It's got to be the best Filipino restaurant. So we're researching, and for whatever reason, everything's closed. I guess it was a Monday. Everything was closed, and so my options kept getting smaller. Calling places, and of course, they probably don't have a telephone. You know, just calling, no one's answering, and my options keep getting smaller. And I finally find a place, I'm like, okay, this is like not the best, but this is the best with our limited options. And so we're going there, and my wife's pregnant with her second baby, and she's like, we're like, you know, probably an hour, no, 30 minutes out. And she's like, I just got to eat. Like, I'm hungry. We got we to gotta eat somewhere now. You know, very two hours after researching. She's like, let's just rush it. Let's just go, go whatever's the closest. And I was like, fine. I'll just look up the closest Filipino restaurant. So I just literally Google it. Don't even see any photos. Never do this. I didn't see any photos I'm like, here, let's put it in, let's go, let's get food. Put it in, we get there. And guys, I felt like I was back in the Philippines. This place was like in a gas station. It was bad. We walk in, we use the bathroom. The lights don't work. But it's too late because we're sitting down. And then we realize there's no toilet paper. So we get out, we're like, this is a horrible experience. And it's just like dingy, dirty, like, and I'm from the Philippines, so it's like, I, got, I don't have high expectations, but I'm like, this place will definitely be closed, like if a, someone came in and, you know, reported them. It was bad. So we left. My wife's like, I'm not eating here. And I'm like, I feel bad. I got to support my people. So I bought some food. And it was fine. It was a horrible experience. So we leave. We go to Ikea. Shout out to Ikea. But we have a toddler with us, and what should have taken us 20 minutes took three hours because he wants to stop at everything, and you get lost in their little maze thing. And we're there forever. We're, like, my wife gets the, their food court food, you know, the Swedish meatballs, and it was gross. And it was just like thing after thing. And at this point, we're just exhausted, right? And we go to Ikea, and obviously everything that we went there to get was not there <laughs> because that's just how Ikea is, I guess. And so it's thing after thing after thing. The story gets better, guys. And my wife's like, today's been horrible. Let's just go to the beach and, like, at least have something good. So we go to the beach. It's beautiful. The sun sets. You know, she's pregnant, so she's crying a little bit. It's a stressful day. And uh, don't, tell, don't tell her I said that. And um, so we leave, and we're like, let's just get seafood. Like, that'll cheer us up. We get seafood, and of course the seafood was horrible. I promise, I'm not like complaining, this is like a, a really significant story. <laughs> but here what happens, we get here, right? This is like 25 minutes away, and I go to grab my wallet. My wallet's gone. I left it on the beach. And so of course the sun is starting to set, and I'm like, I can't find a brown wallet sand, the pitch black. 
So I'm like rushing 25 minutes to go back to the beach with my like flashlight, right, in the pitch dark. And I couldn't find my wallet. And I left, and I was like, wow, this was a really bad day. <laughs> and then we got to drive three and a half hours back home, right? And it's like already 7 o'clock. So we drive home, and my wife's like passed out, tired. And I was praying, like, Lord, what happened? That was like insane. Like, you know days where it's like, that just wasn't normal. Like, is this warfare? <laughs> like, what's going on here? It was just bad. And I was, I was just driving. I was like, Lord, what is happening? Like, can you just give me some kind of mental clarity? And Lord said this to me. He said, Andrew, this is what happens when you don't intentionally rest. I told my wife that. And I was like, yeah, I feel like the Lord just like really rebuked me. And she's like, oh, yeah, I woke up today. And I was like, I just need a distraction. And I was like, yeah, that's what I felt too. And what the Lord revealed, he said that rest isn't a distraction. It has to be intentional. And thankfully, the Lord redeemed that day with that word. But I want you to receive that because it's so true. Rest isn't just a day off to binge eat and distract yourself and go on a marathon on Netflix. Rest has to be intentional especially with how busy, if your life is busy, if you're in ministry, you have to rest intentionally. I love what Isaiah 58 says this. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, come on, and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It has to be intentional. And so I want to break down the four components of Sabbath. You guys okay? I know this is a lot. So the first is Sabbath is a day to rest. So if you haven't been taking notes, now's the time. Sabbath is, the, is a day to rest. Psalm uh, 116 verse seven says this, return to your rest. Look to your neighbor, says return to your rest. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. I love this. He's speaking to himself. Hey, soul, return to rest. The Lord has been too good for you to be striving and performing and not taking a break. I love that. And so when we rest, guys, we respect our humanity and the image of God in us. You can either choose to rest or your life will choose rest for you. You can either choose to rest or life will eventually bring you to your knees. Hope that blesses you. Restlessness is linked to sickness and even mental health issues. Right, we know that scientifically. 
my mentor, he says this quote that marked me. He says, revelation comes to the rested. But if you lack revelation, it's probably because you lack rest. If you need revelation, then you need rest. And so during your Sabbath, decide how you will rest. Here's a couple things that can help you to rest during your Sabbath. It may include napping, amen? Being still, going for a peaceful walk, reading a book, scripture, watching a good movie. The second thing is that Sabbath is a day to cease, say cease. Matthew 6, 34 says this, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right, saying cease from worry. Cease from tomorrow. Corey Ten Boom says, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So on Sabbath, you embrace your limits. That God is God, that he is indispensable and you are not. It's realizing that the world continues working fine when you stop. Sabbath is also about subtraction. It's about removing distractions, clutter, prioritizing connection with God, ourselves, and others. I shared this last week that stress, stress comes in when you have more demand than supply in your life. When you get overloaded by stress, it's because there's more demand than, than supply in your life. And so when you cease and when you rest, you allow yourself to gain more supply. So during your Sabbath, decide what you need to cease from. So it may include ceasing from work, from tasks, ceasing from hurry, from fear, from chores, amen, um, ceasing from responsibilities and distractions like technology. During my Sabbath, I turn my phone off. The third thing is Sabbath is a day to delight. That in Genesis 131, it says that God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. That after the work, God delighted over his creation. God experienced delight from his creation. I love this. The Hebrew phrase for delight communicates a sense of joy, completion, wonder, and play. We know that we live in a, in a delight-deficient culture. And so, again, to rest and to cease empties the cup, but to delight fills the cup. And so during your Sabbath, decide how you're going to experience delight. It's very important. So it may include visiting somewhere that inspires or fills you, being around people you care about, doing something you love, being in nature, being intimate with your spouse, shout out, and eating good food. All the singles are like, that is awkward. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Once you're married, it's great. All right. On that note, the fourth and last one. Everyone's like, I'm not coming back. Uh, the fourth and last one is Sabbath is a day to worship. 
Psalm 27, verse four, we all know this verse. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath that all flows from him and is a response to who he is. And so when we observe the Sabbath, we affirm that God is the center and source of our lives. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end of our existence. The Sabbath is for connection with others and ultimately with the Lord. Imagine setting apart a whole day to intentionally live out Psalm 27. It doesn't mean that you have to sit for 24 hours just, just going to look at Jesus. But through the way that you live out your Sabbath, the Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice our eternity in God's presence. So during your Sabbath, decide how you're going to worship. It may include inviting God's presence into your home, sitting with Jesus, meditating on who he is, giving gratitude for the week, and praising him. So I'm going to wrap up. I want to give a couple of practical tips to keep and observe the Sabbath. You guys like practical tips? All right. Here's a couple of practical tips. First, pick a consistent weekly day and time to block off a 24-hour period to Sabbath, right? It's every seven days, every seven days, right? Traditional Jewish Sabbath also is sundown to sundown. And so it's really important to create a beginning and ending ritual. I know this sounds weird, but traditional Jewish Sabbath begins by lighting the candles, praying, blessing the family, and eating a Shabbat meal. So having a way that you initiate and start your Sabbath is so important so it doesn't just feel like another day. It doesn't just feel like I'm just accidentally resting today. It initiates the start and beginning of your Sabbath. Turn off your phones. Don't answer emails. Remove any distractions. Do it together with those in your home and your family, your friends. And the last thing is prepare leading up to it so things don't follow into your Sabbath. Guard it, right? If you need to do all the chores the day before, do it. If you need to answer emails, if you need to do your homework, if you're in school, whatever it is, prepare, right? Make every effort to enter this rest. So we're going to end here. If you guys want to stand, I'm going to close. That before the Israelites enter, enter the promised land, I want you to hear this. Before the Israelites enter the promised land, Moses proclaimed further that the very act of ceasing from work in the midst of all the surrounding nations was a sign of their liberation by God. By the very act of refusing to succumb to the enormous pressure of Western culture around us, we too serve as a sign of free people. We have been called out of a world trying to prove its worth and value by what it does or possesses. We're deeply loved by God for who we are in him, not for what we do and produce. And so I just want to pray and bless you guys. Can we put that slide up for the guide? That We made an amazing guide for all of you guys to walk through uh, these 30 days.
There's prompts, resources to help you. We want to really encourage you guys to step in with us, that we really believe that this month of really devoting this month to the Lord is going to overflow and bless the rest of this year. So is anyone excited to Sabbath? Is anyone going to take it on? All right, Sabbath is a gift. So I'm just going to pray, Jesus, thank you that you are our rest. You are our source of rest. That we can trust that you can do more in our resting than our striving.